See, I had to keep you doing the tight surveillance, man. That's why I'm wearing these bummy clothes. You had to make sure a dude had his payroll before I made my move. Tell us how you cut him. Yeah, I ain't cut him with no knife, man. But you told me last night you cut the dude. With these, I cut him. I am a chain belt in Kung Fu. Bruce Lee was my teacher. Watch this. technique. You do that, a quart of blood will drop out of a person's body. Tell how you beat on a cop. Wasn't no cop, man. It was cops. Plural. Nine, ten cops. Beat the shit out of ten cops and had to change my whole strategy around. Yo, when they brought you in here and booked you, you was crying like a pussy. Yeah. That's because as one of the cops fell, he threw tear gas in my face. And that's the kind of shit they use on crowds, man. I still walk in here like a man, so get out of my face, all right? I mean, you, you beating up on a man? You putting a man in a hospital? How come I don't see no marks on you? Yeah. Because I'm a karate man, all right? Karate man bruise on the inside. They don't show their weaknesses. But you don't know that because you're a big Barry White-looking motherfucker. Now get off my back, all right? I wish my bitches hurry up and get here. I ain't got no time to be sitting inside this cell with you. Where is your bitches, Mr. Big Time Pimp? Yeah. Didn't I tell you that the phone in my limousine is busted and I can't get in contact with my bitches? Yeah, the phone in the limo is busted. What are you, ignorant? Hey, look, sit down, all right? It ain't cool being no jive turkey. So close to Thanksgiving. <laughs> you boys don't know what you're doing, I can see that already. Do you know who you fucking with? Do you know who you fucking with? Ah, back the fuck up. Back up! You know who you fucking with? In cell number four? On the ninth floor? Billy Ray Valentine? Yes? Move it. We made bail. I did? And welcome to the Nightfly Podcast with me, your host, David Juskow. So I hope everybody is uh, doing all right as we finish up May 2020, the worst year in American history. And that's saying a lot. Again, hard to say it's the worst year in American history, but it, 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 it's pretty damn bad, right? So... It's something like that. And we've all been through 9-11 and shit. It's pretty goddamn bad. How bad do you think it's going to be? Pretty goddamn bad. You know, it's got to happen every five years or so. You know, things out the old blood. Well, we got a lot to go through today. You know, a lot's been happening. And when I say a lot, I mean really nothing. But, uh, you know, we got to make something up for, uh, you know, talk about something for an hour and a half, two hours in the podcast. Am I right, people? How are you? <laughs> Oh, everything's loosening up, isn't it, though? But all for the wrong reasons. So, anyway, let's uh, begin the podcast. Hello, as I said, I am Dave Juskow. This is the Tuesday after Memorial Day 2020 edition. 
And uh, here we are, all ready to go, and hopefully, again, as I say every week, because how could you not? i got to check in on my, my peeps. I hope, I really do hope everybody's doing the best that they can during this crazy time. I mean, there was a period of time, I remember when this started, I started doing the podcast, I'm like, well, I don't want to talk about the virus, you know, like, because, you know, years from now, people listen, it's like, oh, God, I don't want to listen to those, the podcast, because, but what are you going to do? What are you not going to talk about? Come on. What are we going to do? I mean, these are days that will live in infamy. For real. I mean, this is some realistic shit. I was uh, just reading today that uh, President Trump is... <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's out of his mind. He's pulling out the Republican National Convention in August. This is what he's thinking about. Uh, out of North Carolina, because the North Carolina governor, who happens to be a Democrat, um, in that case, I don't even know why they're having it there, but um, doesn't think he'll be able to fill the arena enough to Trump's satisfaction by August. And so he's like, well, if you're not going to have a packed arena, then I don't want to do it. I fix my chair sometimes, as you know, because I'm overweight. Um, and, uh, well, that's just... Really insane talk that, you know, I mean, you'd be like, well, you know, <laughs> you know, how can you think like that at this point? You're the president. You got to relax. But I'll tell you who's smart. The uh, woman from Michigan, she's stopped. She's like curtailed what she's saying about the president because she wants to make sure she gets funding. And we know he uh, takes things uh, pretty personally. So it's smart not to say anything bad about him because you don't want to uh, ruin your your state's chances of getting any funding like they do here in New York, which is so odd since he used to be a New Yorker. But I guess I won't have trouble at the polls this year since I believe he's a resident of Florida now, so we won't run into each other at the polls this year. Still, though, <laughs> go figure, I'm still undecided on voting. I thought for sure I I just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, is, do you think Biden will make it the whole way till November? Who knows at this point? Maybe they'll kick him out. They'll find somebody new we haven't even heard of yet. I mean, why not? Anything can happen. It's anything can happen 2020. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, well, that that is some, um, you know, again, whether you, you know, you, you, well, I mean, at this point you would figure, be like, yeah, you know, I, this is a bad time. I, I wish our president just told us something uh, uplifting. Or something that would make us uh, think he was on our side. It's hard to tell. You know, he's just really always been in the form where I never want to bash the president. I'm not that kind of person. I don't. That's not what I talk about on the podcast. No matter who the president is, I've always felt it's our president, and, and you got to have the respect. It's just getting harder and harder every day. You know, when he's like, "Yeah, everything's going to be great. Yeah, by August, we'll have the convention. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it." I mean, those are the right things to say, but who knows if it's realistic, that's all. Maybe that's maybe that's the better thing to say, let alone, I mean, you know, with the unemployment and all the stuff he's giving out, uh, you know, then you're like, well, it's not, it's not horrible. It's just, it's just some of the things that he uh, prioritizes on during this time have been difficult to swallow. But uh, anyway, I don't know why I started with that. I guess I just read about it today. And um, I was like, what's the matter with this guy? You know, he's worried about his ratings and the convention in August. 
just feels like there's other stuff going on, <laughs> which there is. Because yesterday, uh, taping this on a Monday, coming out on Tuesday, I went down. Uh, I started delivering this week. I bought a bunch of weed for people. And I said, you know, I'm going to get it delivered. Then I'm going to go deliver it. I'm going to go around and deliver what people cannot. If they cannot get it, I will bring it to them as a ser- as a customer service. So, uh, you know, I saw a bunch of people. And on Saturday, even though it was raining, I took that motorcycle out. And I uh, delivered to a couple of people, which was terrific. And now I'm th- saying to myself, you know, I think I'd like to go into the weed delivery business. I'm going to ask them if they need somebody else. I enjoy being on the motorcycle and stopping by people's houses with a mission. I like having a place to go and not just riding around. It's just like walking. I always say I'd like to just, you know, I need a destination when I walk. I don't like just walking around for walking. I like having a destination. I like having a chore. So I think I would be a a good pot delivery guy (laughs) at this ripe old age. It'll also be hilarious. But, um, I mean, it's going to be legal. It's very short. I mean, Governor Cuomo is a worse governor than Donald Trump. If he doesn't, after this, when everything's in economic upheaval, if you don't regulate or bring in to legalize gambling and pot, do you know how much money that's going to bring into the state? I don't care whether you like it or not. Something needs to be. This is a nice, quick fix, which only hurts me, Dave Juskow, and really nobody else. But, I mean, you know, if, you, if this will actually save me money because I won't have to travel to Jersey to gamble anymore, which, God damn, when sports comes back, I really hope I don't have to gamble anymore. But this little break has been so great. I really, really hope I can kick the habit. But, uh, you know, I've got a problem. But anyway, so then yesterday, Sunday, I went down to the Jersey Shore and, uh, you know, saw other people down there and walked around a little bit. It was kind of nice and uh, ran into uh, David Elliott. I was very excited to see him because I had had this Grateful Dead magazine in my car for like a year to give to him. But he is elusive at times because he is a very busy man. But we had a really nice time together, and, um, you know, we were just uh, listening to some music and stuff, and, you know, uh, he he turned me on to a guy, I can't remember his name, but he was awesome. I'll explain more next week. I'll get more information, and um, then we'll... He enlightened me about some... Uh, this guy that's played on, like, 2,000 albums with this long beard and stuff. just can't think of his name right now, but, you know, it was so great to see you know, humans in general. So it was great. And I got to see uh, Vic Henley's ex-wife, um, which was really nice. And we walked around the, the boardwalk for a while and the cabanas were out, which I was surprised because I wasn't sure whether that was going to take place or not. But it looks like the summer is on a schedule now. So the question is, you know, were people at the beach? Yeah. Was it a jam-packed Memorial Day Sunday? Absolutely not. But everyone was, you know, was out. People were walking around. It was actually quite pleasant. It's a, it's actually, uh, it's too bad it can't always be that capacity. You know, it was probably like half what you'd get on Memorial Day, so it was technically perfect. I didn't go on the beach. I was just walking on the board. I mean, it was kind of a, it wasn't a hot a day, but a beautiful day to walk. In fact, I, you know, it was overcast, but I got a sunburn. I, I didn't realize until I got home today and realized I'm like, what the, why's my head all red? I sunburned so easy, but, um, 
yeah, it was great. And, you know, they live in a place I'm thinking about moving to. I'm thinking about moving down the shore. I am totally thinking about moving down the shore. I am really, really contemplating it. I, I, you know, just keep putting it in my head and thinking about it. And people are like, what? You can't leave the city. I was talking to Jeff Ross yesterday. He's like, what? What are you going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, you moved. I was talking to Sarah Silverman. You know, she's like, oh, I'm leaving town in June. And I actually don't want to go back to my apartment because my Airbnb is actually better. And I'm like, well, maybe it's time for a change for you. You know, maybe it's time to, you know, move out of your apartment and stuff because I'm thinking about doing it. She's like, well, how are you going to leave the city? You love it here. And I'm like, do I? Do I love it here or do I just, you know, love it at times when I'm, you know, when it's a good time? Of course. I mean, like everybody else. I'm not like Woody Allen here. You know, I don't. I'm like, New York, is, it's wonderful. It's great. It's just this is where the action is. And again, being a single man, it's a whole different story. I think if I was married, I would move instantaneously. I think after this, you know, obviously I'm thinking after this, I'm going to meet the first person I meet and go out with, I'm going to marry. Because I'd prefer if this happens again, I don't want to be alone again. But of course, I've said that during every catastrophe I've lived through, which is 9-11, the hurricane, Hurricane Sandy, and this. And I always say, well, that's it. I'm not going to be alone again. I'm going to make a change. But we all know that the next whatever it is, and it'll be something new that we've never thought of before, uh, I'll probably be alone again. I mean, this is the thing I had been thinking about since I would say being a little kid when Jimmy Carter was president and always threatening us that there was going to be a nuclear war. Well, because it was a thing with the Russians, right? We always thought we were going to get nuked. And I remember watching TV with my parents and going like, well, I don't want to be with my family when that happens because they suck, you know, like it's, it's just lonely and depressed. Like this would have been a nightmare for me being alone with my family. This is before, of course, there was electronic media and a way to get in touch with your friends and everything. But um, that's what I would think about. I'm like, this is not where I want to be if we all have to be hunkered down. But uh, so I've been thinking that way and I'm like, I'm going to make sure that you know, I'm married or, or something and with fam- with family that I like <laughs> uh, if something happens and it's just never happened. So I guess it's all talk. And it's too bad, too, because uh, like I said, if I get married, I think I could easily move out of the city. And it's again, it's not like, you know, for dating purpose or anything, but the city is very, very perfect for being single because there's lots of places you can go. But, you know, all those the little towns and stuff uh, is okay too. There's plenty of people everywhere, you know. So it's not like I'm moving to Iowa or something. And again, if anybody lives in Iowa and I'm, they're like, "Well, hey," but let's face it, I I don't know what it's like there. I assume there's less people, but less people sounds really nice right now. Ironically, I mean, I just don't want it to go back to big crowds anymore. Who would want it to go? I don't want to see any more of those parades and stuff. So either I'm moving out or, you know, becoming Manhattan Borough president. (laughs) It's one or the other. You know, it's either I'm either, you know, moving out or going to be here for the long run. And ironically, once I'm Manhattan Borough president, just like the mayor or anybody else, I I can have another place. You think people will be angry if I have a second place in Jersey? Probably. I guess you can have a second plate in uh, New York State, but probably not in Jersey. And I don't want to go anywhere else in New York State. Um, I was talking to Dave L yesterday, and we were talking about how we don't understand Long Island. He went to, he had a dental, uh, you know, internship out there, like 
the border of Queens and Long Island. He hated it out there because a Jersey boy or girl, I guess, can't we can't fathom Long Island. We, you know, and I've talked about this before. We just don't understand. You know, in your head, you're just thinking it's all going to tighten up. It comes to a point, and then there's an end. Whereas Jersey is just, you know, at least if on the lark, I can drive to Alaska if I feel like. I, I don't know. It, it's a definite state of mind, and people from Long Island don't understand New Jersey, but as a person who's grown up in Jersey, I just can't see myself ever living on Long Island. It would disturb me mentally. So uh, I don't know. I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about anymore. But uh, anyway, I don't know. You know, so I was looking at, you know, some places I might want to live. And then Dave was nice. You know, his uh, wife uh, does real estate. And he sent over a couple of places that I might like. Can you believe it? I mean, you know, I'm like, eh, is this happening? Like, he showed me this apartment. I'm like, oh, it'd be nice to have a big boy apartment finally after all these years. And um, yeah, then I could actually buy a Vespa. Have it all the time, and I wouldn't have to pay for it or anything. And I could have my own helmet. Oh, that'd be exciting, wouldn't it? Be exciting, wouldn't it? I can have a bike. I can ride on flat lands, no hills. Boy, that would be terrific. I would like that very much. Anyway, uh, let's move on to a bunch of stuff. Oh, yeah, I was talking to my friend uh, Vincent, um, who, as you know, I've had him on the podcast. He's you know, friends with, that's how I met Larry Moss, the great acting teacher. And, uh, he was, you know, a musical theater guy, straight musical theater guy, ridiculously handsome, still handsome now, you know, at 70. Uh, he was also, if you remember, if you remember the name, uh, and I just wish he would come on the podcast and talk about it more freely, but he's so timid about it for some reason, was supposed to be John Travolta's brother, Bobby Barbarino, in Welcome Back, Cotter, got dressed, you know, was ready to tape the episode, and then John Travolta put a stop to it. Oh, no, no, forget it. I'll I'll come back. I'll come back. I didn't know you were going to replace me that quickly. He was supposed to be Bobby Barbarino. He says there's pictures. Goddamn. Anyway, it's funny. We were talking about because, you know, we the two of us have been through here through all this stuff, and it's funny how we get calls from everyone around the country or world because, you know, I guess the reports about New York are, I guess the way in, in everybody's mind, everybody's thinking it is like escape from New York. You know, unless you're living here, if you're on the outside and just hear about New York and how everything is bad, you're thinking it's, oh, God, it's like escape from New York. I better check on Dave Jeskow, who's the last person, remaining person I know in New York City. So the two of us keep getting calls from people like, are you all right? How's everything going over there? People you never hear from for years. And then they're like, well, I better check on Jeskow, see if he's all right. So we were comparing notes. You know, this happened after 9-11, Hurricane Sandy. You guys okay? Yeah, we're fine. Again, how many times? I I live on the Upper East Side. Nothing bad happens over here. I'm with the elite. I'm like on the uh, the front of the train and the Snowpiercer train. Yes, I I watched the first episode. I mean, how could I not? They, you know, they they interrupt my uh, Big Bang Theory watching all uh, all night long. It's horrible. I had to give it a try. It wasn't bad. Meanwhile, my, uh, you know, I got this fire stick with all the movies on it uh, conked out. Bad timing. I was enjoying being able to see anything I ever wanted. Dream come true. I'm not paying for any more stuff until I totally get rid of cable. I got to find a, 
plan for that. But uh, Rachel Feinstein had her baby this week. Beautiful baby girl. It really, really is a cute baby. You know, because a lot of babies, you're just being polite. But no, this is a cutie pie. I think she might have tweeted it out because I guess I got a call from another friend in California. And she's like, WTF? And I'm like, what? She, I guess she didn't know. She, she must have tweeted it out because uh, she wouldn't communicate with this girl, uh, you know, by text. So, yeah. She, but I mean, we've, we've already said it anyway. It's no big deal. But uh, yeah, she's doing all right. I was going to obviously have her on the podcast today, talk a little bit, but she's not ready. You know, she only had the baby on Wednesday. Today's Monday. So she's not, you know, she's still kind of drugged up a little bit, but we've been talking every day or texting. And I mean, even the day of, I called her and left a, you know, hilarious message. I'm like, hey, um, are you around today to go to dinner? Um, you know, like, uh, let me know, you know, as a joke. And then she instantly wrote back. I guess I texted and she wrote back. Yeah. Make a reservation at that Chinese place. I'm like, what, 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 how are you texting? You, what's like, how did you, you you know, she, she was just up and about and I guess in a good mood. And, and then we talked for a while, just right at like an hour after she had that kid. But, uh, yeah, she stayed in the hospital a little longer. So I, I guess she's back home now. They're going to let me come over because I've been tested. And I'm all negative. What's up, yo? So I'm going to be able to come over, which is very exciting. Also, I, uh, oh, so, uh, so I guess let me tell you about my week in that sense of, uh, let me just see, you know, I got everything listed down, but it's all jumbled. You know, I just keep writing stuff down. You know, normally I just go through my week Monday through Friday, so it's easy. uh, It's kind of cohesive, but, you know, everything's such a mess now. I just keep. I'm all over the place and a little hodgepodge of uh, stuff. Oh, I, by the way, uh, oh, so uh, just about Vincent. Also, he heard me sing Summer Highland Falls and he liked it a lot, you know, and he agreed, you know, I, I was on the same thing. He's like, yeah, it was really good. You know, just a little training. He hit those notes, right. You know, a little off pitch and a couple of plays. I'm like, yeah, I know, but he's right. I should probably start taking voice lessons now. If I'm really going to audition, if Broadway ever comes back for those kind of things, he's like, no, do it now. That way, when it comes up, you know, you'll be ready. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. I never thought I was always like, yeah, if I get it, you know, then I'll audition, you know, but that's not the way to go. And I do enjoy That made me happy, though. And I think he um, he said uh, that Larry Moss is actually really good at, you know, uh, working with people's voices and stuff. And he's doing a musical on Broadway. What was he planning? I can't remember. Meanwhile, like I said, Rachel had her baby on Wednesday. Sarah's Silverman's show was supposed to open on Wednesday. So I called her and I was like, how you doing? You know, I mean, it's got to be, I mean, she's been doing great, right? I mean, she's so strong, but I mean, that's got to be a bummer. This was supposed to be the biggest night of your life in many ways, even though she's had so much successes. But, you know, a Broadway show based on your life opening on May 20th that didn't open because the world's falling apart. That's a tough one to handle. So I asked her how she was doing. She goes, yeah, we had a Zoom call with the cast, you know, and, you know, these, and she said, because the kids who were supposed to be in, you know, she's playing a nine-year-old girl, so it's a bunch of kids, and they were becoming friends, and they were doing Zoom chats and stuff and becoming friendly, and, uh, you know, now they'll, I'm assuming, probably have to be replaced, because, you know, you're older if you're nine, 
that's a huge. You might look thirteen by the time you're ten. So it's like, yeah, great. I'll see you guys next year. Probably not. Uh, but I, you know, I don't know how that works. I'm just assuming because I, you know, every movie and TV is like shown us like, kid, you're a little too old. But I'm ten. Yeah, exactly. I'll see you later. Good luck to you. But yeah, I feel bad. And they of course had it toasted to Adam, which is the saddest of all things, and so weird because like when he died. On April 1st, you know, we thought, I thought this was going to be the start of lots of people I like and respect dying. And, um, I mean, you know, besides people dying of old age and other things, you know, I I don't know. I I don't personally know anyone else who's died of the coronavirus. I really thought it was going to, I mean, I know people are dying. I just don't know them. They see people are dying and I don't really know anyone else. Who seems to know somebody who died? Maybe everybody has one, and I guess that's enough. <laughs> if everybody knows somebody different that died of the coronavirus, then I guess I guess that would equal the hundred thousand folks. But uh, oh, so so Vincent was telling me a story of how he was going to. Uh, that 54 below that I like to go to where I saw Andrew McArdle perform and stuff like that. And you say him and Larry went and they went to see, I, who did they go to? I can't remember who they go to see, but sting was there. And of course, Larry Moss knows sting or sting knows Larry Moss. I mean, this guy knows everybody He goes, Oh, come sit with us. So Vincent, you know, who was the Dave Juskow of his time, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's Larry Moss sting and Vincent, I mean, it does sound like the stories I tell now, you know, it's like funny. And Vincent, you know, that's why I was always fascinated by him when we first met, you know, 20 or so years ago, <clears throat> is that, um, you know, he had stories like this. Yeah, so it's me, you know, Larry Moss and Sting. And I say to Sting, what's your story, man? You know, but we were talking about singing and how, oh, I know who it was. It was um, it was that British guy who is the food critic on Frasier. I can't think of his name. Uh, I guess he's a really gay British guy uh, actor, and he also, you know, does cabaret. Why wouldn't he? And so Sting and him were roommates before Sting was in the police, and then he came to see him perform. It would be the exact thing of David Tell coming to see me do something stupid. I mean, that's the problem with comics is they don't do regular people things, mostly. Jeff Ross does, but no one else does. But, you know, you can say, like, well, why would... Well, David Tell's not a good example. It would have to be somebody else. I can't think of somebody. It would have to be, I guess, somebody from another profession. Why would he come see him? But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, I don't. You know, anything with a sting involved is kind of hilarious. Let's see, let alone he's come up twice in the podcast because he's also on that acid trip show with Sarah Silverman. So I feel like I am making a little with my fingers put together this close. To meeting Sting. See how the universe is bringing us together? This happens to me a lot. I keep hearing Sting, 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 and then eventually I meet the people. I don't know why. This happened with, for some reason, with Josh Groban. I just kept hearing him. I kept hearing him. He was in the community all of a sudden. You know, like all of a sudden, you know, I hear about him. And then all of a sudden my friends are like talking about him. And then all of a sudden I meet him. I take a picture, give it to my old boss. I'm like, hey, I told you I was going to meet him. I told you I was this close. I feel that way with Sting for some reason. I don't know why. It just happens. Uh, also, so yesterday, uh, I'm driving down the Jersey Shore, 
having a lovely time in my car, really enjoying driving. I love driving. I get excited when I'm in L.A. that I get to go to my car. You know, as long as you're not sitting in traffic, that's why, you know, it's beautiful driving around the city. I went all the way down to the Holland Tunnel. In fact, I took, oh, crap. Just remembered I put it on my T-shirt. Oh, I got to write a letter to take that out. Sorry. Wait a minute. <laughs> Video. I, I, I took a, um, I took a, uh, you know, uh, my dash cam. And I took the thing out and I put it in my pocket when I left the garage. And I said, I got to remember to take this out. And I totally forgot. And I just remembered. And I, and I need to wash those clothes. So yesterday, uh, all right, so one thing at a time. So yesterday, I go down to Jersey and I got a text from Tom Snyder, who you may remember from Dr. Katz. He created Dr. Katz with the great Jonathan Katz, who you all know from turbocharge who's the narrator snowman and he sent me a brand new episode of dr katz not animated but you know like just the audio which is really all you need at this point of dr katz and i'm like oh my god are you guys thinking about doing a dr katz podcast because that's brilliant that's a great idea why not little scripted podcast at this point that would be so nice so he sent it to me and i listened to it on the way and it was about 25 minutes and it's got everybody. It's got John Benjamin from Turbocharge, uh, Sarah Silverman's sister, Laura, Laura Keitlinger, Dana Gould. And they're all in this particular episode. And it was terrific, like really terrific, like really old school, terrific. Let's face it. John Benjamin's voice is, is great. And him and Jonathan Katz work really well together. And it was super fun. And I'm like, what are your plans? And then he sent me a second episode. He goes, we only got two. And I'm like, because, you know. Tomorrow, we have a, a – well, today when this comes out, we're, we're going to talk, and I'm going to find out his plans because I don't know. I, I mean, I would just say, can I? do you mind if I just play that full on the podcast? I would love to put that on the podcast. I think you guys would really like it. It's really good and funny. Um, so I don't know whether he'll let me do it. I wish he would, you know what I mean? But I suppose they have long-term plans for it. But, of course, as you know or may not know, I uh, – you know – I'm good at promoting Dr. Katz until they, of course, stab me in the back again at some point. But look at that. I, I forgive because I love those guys. And they were so nice to me. It's funny. You know, they were just so nice to me early in my career that I can never forget what they did for me, even though it's one douchebag who kind of ruined everything. And this guy, his name is Lou Viola. And if you're out there, Lou, I'm still coming to get you. Don't worry. You, I do not forgive. And he helped me in my career, too. But he needs to be stopped. So why can't he have the coronavirus? Do you see what I'm saying? Why can't he get the coronavirus? <laughs> Again, I feel like Howard Stern in uh, private parts. He's like, if, if Lord Jesus Christ, can you please come down and kill pig virus? Um, pig vomp. No, pig virus. Ironically, another virus thing. Isn't that fascinating? Anyway, um, so that was very exciting, and it was it made the trip so awesome to just listen to that going down the turnpike when there's really nothing to do, and you're going a straight line. So that was fantastic. And then uh, I went to my sister's house where no one is practicing social distancing. Well, why should they? They're a family. You know, I, like I said, I get jealous when I see these families in the backyards doing stuff with their family, but... The neighbors came over. Nobody seems to care. Nobody, by the way, cared at the beach either. I mean, there were a couple of people with masks, but 
many people just walking around without masks down there. Uh, you know, it's a, I, I don't know what, you know, at the beach, what, I, that's what I said. I'm like, you know, why are you wear a mask at the beach? I only wear the mask because uh, Victoria has some problems with her mom and stuff. Otherwise, you know, I'm good not wearing the mask. Um, again, you know, doing it for other people that I'm all on board for. So I went to my sister. We didn't have to wear a mask. We were cooking and barbecuing outside. They made this little patio area on their basketball court. It was really fun. My mother came up and um, their neighbors came with the dog. And they're just, I mean, uh, you know, we, 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 we actually hugged and it just, I couldn't take it anymore. We just had like a normal old fashioned Memorial Day. And I got to tell you, it was fantastic. No masks, no social distancing. It was old school. Is that bad that I did that? Maybe, but you know what? The problem, I mean, this is the whole problem with the why the country's apart. This, you know, sometimes, I mean, you, you hold up like this. Sometimes you just got to take a chance. I mean, if other people don't care and you don't care and you're not really hurting anybody else, you know, I mean, if there were people next door or something that were close and they were upset, of course, that would be bad. But, you know, it's just our family. And if none of us care, then who are we hurting? You know, nobody but, you know, people are that the reason why they're revolting is because it's almost impossible to stay for three months, especially as the weather gets warm. And not make a move of some sort. It, we just we 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 can't live like this now. I'm not blaming people telling us we have to stay in. I certainly understand the reasoning for it. But, you know, you know, my theory has always been let's take a chance. But then they're afraid that there's going to be spike now. You know, there's but there's things we can do like, you know, I was reading today then. Uh, I don't know where it was, but they're, you know, in Missouri, so they're having a pool party with all these people and stuff like that. I mean, that's insane. I mean, but there's got to be ways to do it like we did yesterday where it's just small groups, you know, and you you, you can be contained because you got to have so, uh, human contact at some point. You know, it's just the way we've been, especially somebody who lives in New York City. I am not used to distancing myself for this long a period of time. I'm certainly... I've, I've done it for like two or three weeks at a time, just hungry, you know, in my apartment. But, you know, this is this is out of control, obviously, obviously. But it was so great. Old school, just barbecuing. You know, Matt's such a great cook. And, uh, you know, I had uh, my little my little bottles of beer. They're called ponies. Budweiser ponies. They're terrific. <laughs> I had like four of those, so it's not too bad. It's four of them because they're eight ounce ones. So, or maybe, yeah. Eight ounce ones, I think. So it's like having two regular beers. That's not too bad. But then I was like, oh, and so we were in the fire pit, right? And so my mother blamed the fire pit of why she had to leave, where she could have just said, I'm going to go home. But I know what she was talking about. They all were making fun of her. But I'm like, I'm I'm actually leaving because of the fire pit, too. It come coming in my face, right? So I go home. And when I get home, I call my mother. And I'm like, listen, you got to... Uh, you didn't shower. You got to burn those clothes you were wearing. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, well, you got to throw them in the wash. They're a mess. And you got to shower before you get to bed. I mean, you, Rhoda Reitman, need to shower before you get to bed. She goes, why? I showered this morning. I'm like, no, that, that fire pit, this this is my tailgating knowledge I can hand down to you. You got to burn that clothing. <laughs> it's you, I mean, seriously, you got to throw it in the washing machine. This is just like going to a cigar bar. And you got to shower before you get into bed. Even Dave Juskow, who really doesn't shower at night ever, needs, I will not go to bed, even if I haven't changed my sheets in a week, with that shit on me. 
or, or washing my hair and all that. You got to get that crappy hair. So she calls me back later and said, oh, my God. I said, well, just go over and smell the clothes that you're wearing. You probably didn't notice because you're wearing it. She goes over. She goes, oh, my God. I had no idea. You're absolutely right. I just put everything in the washing machine and I took a shower. But I didn't wash my hair. And I'm like, oh, you're going to regret that. <laughs> but, you know, a woman, old Jewish woman washing her hair is a big deal. You know, they don't even like. I mean, when my mother was going to the pool in the 70s, and I'm sure lots of our mothers do that. When she, if she ever got her hair wet, it was a it was a huge deal. You know, her and Aunt Judy, they, they women back then, they never got their hair wet. They never went in the actual pool. We never saw my mother's hair wet. So, yeah, that's like a huge deal. So I understand that she couldn't do it. I'm like, well, you better put a T-shirt over your pillow. or Because, you know, seriously, that stuff it just lasts forever. I was in the shower yesterday, and I washed everything, and I could still smell it. It just doesn't go away. And all my clothes are on the floor because I'm like, I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do my laundry at midnight. But uh, I do enjoy taking late night showers lately. It's kind of fun putting out the phone in the uh, in the bathroom or watching like friends while I'm in the shower or something. I don't know. I don't, I don't know why I'm enjoying it. But like late night showers, like midnight, 1 a.m., it's kind of exciting. I think it's exciting because I live alone. I don't know why. <laughs> There's, I'm like, you know what? I could take a shower now. I just kind of walk around, have music on, and it's one in the morning. And nobody can stop me. It's a beautiful thing. But uh, was there another point to my story? You know, I go off on so many tangents I can't remember. But I'm sure there was. Also, uh, you know, we had our, uh, you know, I upped my game on the 7 o'clock shout-outs, which, of course, you might remember. is right outside my window at 7 o'clock every night. Can you believe how loud that is? So I upped my game, and you might have seen it on my Instagram post this week, and I started blowing the shofar. I have it with me now. It takes me a while to get started. Takia! So let's uh, put this to the uh, sound effects. Fits right in. Try and give a big Takia Gadola, which is the highest of all shofar blowings that there is, the Takia Gadola. It's very difficult because you got to go for a while. Still can't get that high note yet, but I'll practice. Giving Dave Bryan from Bon Jovi a run from his money since he used to blow the shofar. <laughs> It's funny every time. At our temple growing up, he had a big ram's horn. But, you know, he was musically inclined. Goddamn Klein was goddamn enthralled. Also, I just read that cicadas 
are coming back this year in 2020. Now, they're not coming back everywhere. They're not coming to Jersey. Jersey's still not due, but they're coming back to like a little further down, Pennsylvania, Virginia. Do you remember cicadas only come out every 17 years? I cannot think of a better time, speaking of the shofar, (laughs) for the cicadas to come out than while we're in the pandemic. Why not pile it on? And I'll tell you what these little horrible, scary bugs that don't hurt humans in any way, shape, or form, uh, what the deal with, I mean, how creepy is it that they come out every 17 years? They're disgusting. I remember as a kid, what was it, 1978, where they were all over the place in Jersey, and, you know, I guess they were there about, they, I guess they were there about seven years ago. We, uh, Jersey's got about 10 years. So, you know, you forget about them. I live in New York. You don't really see them very much, a couple of them, but. Oh, they're huge, and they just, you know, you got to sweep them up. They're, like, amazing, right? So if this doesn't tell you that the Bible, I'm sorry I'm going to say this if you care, is just written by a dude that, that, that we worship, all of us, every religion worships something written by a man that, made up a novel this is like the l ron hubbard shit right there's people like john travolta who worship a guy that just made up some science fiction stories now these aren't science fiction but my theory has always been the bible is written by a guy uh, because king james authored a guy to write the bible he's like hey i want you to spice it up you know really get people into religion so it's a guy like me who was looking for a job. I mean, not, you know, I'm not a novelist, but let's just say, you know, somebody who's like a ghostwriter for somebody. He's like, you know, spice it up for me, spice it up. So if you're talking about something like Noah, I mean, it's once that tsunami happened that we, you know, years ago that Gilbert got fired over, uh, you're saying to yourself, you know, this could have been what happened with Noah's Ark. There might've been a tsunami. And this would make a lot of sense. You know, if you're afraid and you don't know anything about science, I mean, let's face it, I'm one of those people. If I didn't know about science and I lived in the BC times and all of a sudden there was an eclipse, I mean, maybe 99% of us would say, holy shit, God is so angry. Who wouldn't be like that? And, you know, maybe there's 1% of the population like, no, 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 it's okay. I've been noticing the moon's movement. You know, there's always a Galileo or a Da Vinci that's going to tell you like, no, no, folks, folks, thank God. But here we are. Can't have all of this happened in Egypt with this Moses character. Now, either the Jews are brilliant in the sense of using the weather and science to scare Pharaoh But as I have recently told you, the Jews are idiots because Moses was a moron because he wouldn't have had to endure any of this hardship as we see in the Ten Commandments if he had just pretended none of that happened, remained the prince of Egypt, and slowly let the slaves go in a nice, cohesive, intelligent manner. (laughs) He could have done so much more good than... Keeping it real. So we talked about that, right? So we know everyone's stupid. And it seems to me, if any of this has any truth to it, because, of course, there's got to be some truth to it, but it's all science. 
if you're talking about the 10 plagues and somebody was smart enough to say, uh-oh, you know, you can see this coming. Let's just tell the Pharaoh that it's going to happen, you know, whatever, or what, however that's going to work. I mean, wouldn't this make sense? A big pandemic where everybody's suddenly dying of a virus, especially we're saying right now, the elderly with pre-existing conditions, you know, even though we know it's expanding to that. But we say, oh, my God, there's a gene that's tapping out the firstborn of everybody. Oh, no. You know, I mean, can you imagine back then where they're like, why is that? You know what I've noticed? Everybody's firstborn is dying. This disease. You got the disease, right? So you got a pandemic happening. Let's just say, you know, in 1600 BC or whatever it was. <clears throat> well, it's 5,000 years ago, so I don't – Whatever. Anyway, yeah, I'm going to try and do math. Uh, and then, you know, locusts and, uh, you know, cicadas. I mean, if you aren't, if you haven't been to school, how would you not think God hates us or whoever put us here really is angry at us for some God knows, God knows reason? I mean, seriously, cicadas? Now is that is that not biblical proportion shit what's happening to the planet I mean this is this is unbelievable so you have to like now I'm like you know second guessing everything now I was looking it up and they were talking about the 10 plagues and there's an answer for everything they feel that there was a volcano in this island in Greece that erupted this the island off Santorini on the island of in the south of Greece around 1620 to 1600 BC. I love that it goes backwards. And they say that volcano eruption could have emitted, you know, ember waves that fall into the water and might have turned it red, thinking that it turned water into blood or something. They're, you know, they're they're putting things on everything, and that these frogs might have jumped out of this toxic water and tried to find other places to live. All the plagues there could be an answer for like we're having now. I think most of us know that anyway, but it is fascinating. When I saw about the cicadas, I'm like, oh my God, this makes so much sense that if you didn't know, you would think God is sending a message. And that kind of shit absolutely fascinates me. I love every minute of it breaking down the Bible and saying, are we kidding? Now, that all being said, of course, uh, as a man who is terrified to uh, cook bacon at his own home because I think my mother is going to secretly watching me and scold me, I have no right to dispute any of this <laughs> nonsense because I am one of the problems. Uh, but, you know, everybody's got to have something to believe in. It's the only thing that, of course, is bad with all religion is inflicting your own views on other people. And hence that causes 9-11 shit. So that is the problem. If somebody wants to believe in something and they that's what keeps them going, then so be it, of course. It's when you're trying to push your values on other people, that is a problem. When I sit there here and say... You people have to watch the last dance, the you know the, the Michael Jordan documentary, or else we cannot be friends. <clears throat> anyway, speaking of the last dance, did everybody see the ending? Because it really was. I gotta say, episode nine, which was last Sunday, not this past Sunday. Episode nine was one of the best episodes I've ever seen. 
that was the best episode, I thought, because that's when they had Steve Kerr. Stuff which I, you know, that's the best thing about a documentary. We all know how it ends. We all know how it happens. We all know about Michael Jordan, especially if you're a boy growing up in the 90s. We know, but if you're if you're a woman or anybody that doesn't know about sports or doesn't know about any of this stuff, I got to say that documentary is probably even more spectacular. But when they had Steve Kerr, and I didn't know his father also was murdered like Michael Jordan's, and sorry, spoiler alert, which isn't, of course, a spoiler alert. That was shocking because they had an interview going like, did you guys bond, Steve Kerr and Michael Jordan, did you guys bond about your fathers? And he's like, no. And then they tell the story of how his dad was a teacher in Beirut and got shot in the head. Boy, is that something else, huh? That was emotional. And uh, that documentary, I, I hope you're watching. I mean, I know now everybody's talking about it because remember when we first started, uh, my friend Lee Maracas was asking, like, do you think my wife would like it? I'm like, you know, I, I'm going to say yes. And now I now everybody likes it. You know, I was talking to my sister likes it. Everybody likes it. Everybody has more questions, let alone the sports places. And thank God. I mean, they ESPN really did themselves a favor putting this out the sports people have stuff to talk about you know the stations and it really is great talking about it and you know make it michael jordan's the producer and making himself look the way he does uh like an asshole and a bully but you gotta respect him even more that he was just like nope let it play let it play sorry i was such a competitor and that's the thing and so then the question of course is do you have to be a jerk to be a winner the ultimate question, is it? A, do you need to be, are there any nice guy winners? And that's an interesting thing. And then I was thinking, well, I bet you Peyton Manning is a nice guy winner. But he probably could have won more championships if he was a douchebag, I guess. I mean, that's what that documentary is pretty much saying. And really, you got to check it out. And game 10, was, uh, episode 10 was very anticlimactic, ironically, episode 10. But the other ones are really... Out of 10 episodes, maybe there's two that aren't as special as the others. But if you haven't seen it yet, you really, at this point, when the, you know everything is a question, what am I going to watch today? The Last Dance. I know I've been talking about it for weeks, but it really is really entertaining. And again, lots of footage, video footage, and stuff like that. Uh, and remember, folks, I just was, uh, I'm very worried. All-you-can-eat buffets are in jeopardy, and this is very troubling news. Uh, I'm not sure how to process this yet. I'm just going to think about it today. I didn't want, you know, when I read about it, I said, oh, my God, that is so obvious. But we'll push on from this, and uh, Dave Jessica will survive. All-you-can-eat buffets, I mean, these, this, is what, this is one of the reasons I want to move out of the city, so I can go to one of these golden corrals or one of these places that has, because, you know, this, this is my wheelhouse. All you can eat anything is the best, but the buffets, I guess, the sneeze guards aren't going to hold up anymore. Oh, boy, that's a bummer. Also, as you know, I've gotten scrubs, and I tried them on the other day, and I look terrific. And there's nobody that wouldn't believe I'm a doctor. So, yes, I'm going to take advantage and be a complete scumbag and get free stuff. But I found out another way to get free stuff. Krispy Kreme is giving out free stuff for graduates. I'm also getting a cap and gown. And I'm going down to Krispy Kreme uh, in a, uh, tomorrow or the next day. And I'm going to get, be able to get a free dozen donuts. So, you know, I'm trying to work the system. And whatever I have to do, uh, ironically, it'll probably cost me $100 to buy a cap and gown just to get some free donuts. 
it's kind of like that Seinfeld episode where Elaine's just trying to get that free sub and she loses that car because she gave it to her phone number to somebody on it. And she's like, no, but I've eaten 19 bad subs. And if I get a 20th, they're like, what do you get? Free sub. <laughs> it's the same thing. I'm going to spend all this money on getting my cap and gown costume only so I can get a dozen donuts for free. But, you know, if I go to like three different Krispy Kreme, I'm like, hello. And they're like, wait a minute. Uh, I, I'm just an, I, I, I retook some classes. It's a brilliant plan. Please, people, it's a brilliant plan. You're just angry you didn't think of it. And speaking of that, funniest thing happened the other day. I'm sitting at my house around 11 a.m., uh, just hanging around, minding my own business, and I hear this, if you can believe it. And it's driving me crazy because I'm like, what? The, where is that coming? What? Really? Is there really an ice cream truck? Wh- what? Now? It, I mean, it was like a good sound and a, be- and a weird sound at the same time, let alone that music is so creepy. And I kept looking and I don't see it. I'm looking out the window. I don't see it. And I finally saw it. I'm like, there it is. It's an ice cream truck and it's got its music on loud and it must have stopped at the construction site. And ironically pleased all those workers, but it just it just kept going. I was in my bathroom. I kept up. Where is that coming from? Ice cream man. And all I could think about, all I could think about, was during this pandemic that the ice cream man came about. Was this classic scene? I mean, if you are a man and you're my age, I don't know how you're not thinking of this scene. Then that terrible winter at Valley Forge, six feet of snow, the men's equipment was poor, their electric blankets tattered and full of shorts. I could not stop thinking about that classic Bugs Bunny scene from Yankee Doodle Bugs where he's trying to explain history to his nephew from 1954. I mean, that's what I was thinking of. Come on, guys. You girls wouldn't understand. But uh, as sexist as that sounds, we we know who watches Bugs Bunny. And I that's all I was thinking is that this ice cream truck is going by and these workers all just get out. You know, I mean. In that one, the ice cream truck comes by in Valley Forge in the snow, and they were, and then they just shoot it up, and then that you know the way it plays. Oh, that's that's that one sounds like with the notes being for like that sounds like the ice cream truck we just heard in the cartoon going by after it gets shot up. <laughs> I was really thinking like people are just looking out their windows, going what. What happened? How about this one? This is where I never heard this one. <laughs> Here's a classic. Oh, yeah, that's a classic. Go all the way back to 1954. Here's 
turkey on the straw. You might remember when the ice cream truck goes by. And, of course, here's the classic if you live in New York City. Mr. Softy had its own jingle. That's a creepy one, huh? <laughs> They're all terrifying. I like this one. Why? <laughs> You know, somebody needs to make an ice cream truck with uh, brand new, maybe some 80s songs. Maybe like Jump from Van Halen or something. Boy, is that not the creepiest sound there is? And yet our childhood memories just bring us back to like, oh, what a delightful sound. That's my favorite sound. But the uh, one that was playing outside the window the other day was the classic... Which, of course, is uh, extra funny if you love this. I can't believe out of 30 professional musicians, there was a one Italian in the group here. Come on, let's have a Italian day. Well, that really made Frank Pantangeli very angry that they just disrespected him like that. But uh, yeah, that's all I could think about. As I was listening to the. We have fun, don't we? Speaking of fun, more Fred Willard stuff this weekend. Saturday uh, Night Live played the episode that he hosted in 1978, which I didn't even know he did. And uh, actually, he was talking about it. And I I just like hearing him talk. And it knocked me out. It, I said, God, this is wonderful comedy. And I knew John Belushi. I don't know how I'd know, known him. But I knew him. I didn't know Dan Aykroyd or the others. And one night, shortly after I was sitting in the improv, and John Belushi walked in. And I walked up to him and I said, John, I love your new show. He said, oh, thanks. He was kind of... I said, come on, John. And I took him around the improv. Everyone, this is John Belushi. You've got to watch his show, Saturday Night Live. And he was... I, I could tell he was so impressed by that. And um, they had an Emmy show out in L.A. And Lorne Michaels and all of them were at the table. And my wife says, go up and talk to them. I said, I don't want to, you know, go up and talk to them. So 
I went over and I said, hi, I'm Fred Willard. I love your show. Oh, Fred, I think they all love Fernwood tonight. And a couple of weeks later, I got a call. Uh, I think um, Muhammad Ali was supposed to host the show and dropped out. And they said, we'd love you to host it. I said, oh, my God, that would be wonderful. And I have a feeling John Belushi was uh, behind it. you got to use Fred Willard. So I went in. I, I must have written 20 sketches, 20 ideas to do. I took it very seriously. And I went in, and John Belushi wasn't there the first day, and he wasn't there the second day. And the third day, they, they said, Fred, John Belushi's on the phone. So I go, hi, John, where are you? Oh, I'm down here. Don't let him... Uh, don't let them work you too hard, Fred. How are you doing? Make them sure they treat you right. So um, it was a big thrill. And to think that so many millions of people are watching you, I think you get nervous to a point and then finally say, you, you can't get nervous anymore. And I just went out and, and did it. And um, it was a wonderful, memorable night. I did some great, had some great stuff. They wrote some great stuff for me. They let me do my own monologue. I did my Elvis impression because uh, they kept coming up with stuff for me to do, uh, which I didn't like. And they kind of left me drifting till about the last day. Lauren Michaels kept saying, you know, we're not going to, we're going to, uh, we're, we're going to protect you. And I finally said, look, I got to know what you want me to do. So I did this whole thing in, in the rehearsal. I did some jokes. And then they came, Lauren came up and he said, standards and practices may not let you do that. And I said, standards and practices? I didn't know you had standards and practices. So I, I kind of remember what I did, and um, they did some great um, sketches for me. Some of them I don't remember till I see it. One that everyone remembers is the Scotch Tape Boutique, where Gilda Radner and I, I, I opened up a, a, a little store that only sold Scotch ta Tape. And I just loved it, and it just sat there during the, rehear the dress rehearsal to silence. And then in between, they asked me what's it was between that and another one, which one I wanted to do. I said, we've got to do the Scotch Tape Boutique, because they had two of the, I think John Belushi and his friend came in. Uh, do you have a lot of videotapes? No, just Scotch Tape. You see, I told you so, and they laughed, and my wife was so sad, you know, Gilda, that she knew that she'd, but she was very faithful to me, you know, if you believe in it, I believe in it. So it was uh, one of the most memorable sketches that I, I'd ever done. Yeah, so I watched the uh, thing last night, and I got to tell you, it's you know, it's not a memorable episode of Saturday Night Live, which is probably why I didn't realize that he had actually hosted. And, but it is funny that Scotch tape scene is it's it's not great, but when you think about it later, it's one of those sketches that is really funny, and the way it's executed it just doesn't have big laughs, but. The idea is funny, and he's great, and it is, and Gilda was perfect, and it's actually John Belushi who is an employee there, <laughs> who opens uh, a a whole box of bigger tapes <laughs> that he gets in trouble for by accident, and I think it's Dan Aykroyd and somebody else who come in and ask if they have recording tape. People keep coming in. I think it's in the mall. They say, do you have recording tapes? And they're like, no, and they just laugh at him. So there is all these gags to it, and it's great. It's just uh, it's just amazing that. You know, I think we forget how long he was around. He, this was the fourth season of Saturday Night Live, and it was just really great. It was Fred Willard. Oh, you know, actually, when he goes on, he talks about the party after, which is also a little bit insightful. And then they had a, a closing night party. And I said to Gilda Radner, well, it's great. She says, oh, everyone has their own clique. I said, well, it's uh, it's nice that they give you a closing night party, the show. She's 
No, they don't throw it. We throw our own closing night party. So I don't. I, we went down to uh, some place on Fifth Avenue, number one Fifth Avenue, and each cast member sat at their own table. Gilda was here, Bill Murray was there, um, and um, Devo, who I just loved. They came into a table and they sat. They all sat cross-legged, you know, in a lotus position. And the restaurant wouldn't serve them food for some reason because it was too late. And I remember I should have taken a stand. And said, this is Devo. Uh, but it was a wonderful experience. I loved it. It's so funny because, you know, now that after party is an institution. But I guess they were just throwing it themselves, you know, early on. In fact, they must be amazed at what it's become. But the cast still is ironically separated uh, after being at those parties for many years now the each cast member does kind of have their own table uh, or it does seem that way they they are a little bit separated but uh, I mean not all the time but some sometimes it's still like that but at least they don't have to put out their own money to do it. and Lauren makes sure they go to a place that will serve them food after one thirty in the morning. So that won't happen to Devo again, which is hilarious. But the funny thing was, is that Devo was on it. And I don't know if you, I have never heard this song before or have I, but I had no idea. This is what they decided to do on Saturday night live. It's so strange. crazy is that they did i can't get no satisfaction i i couldn't believe it uh what a strange thing to do i mean obviously uh mike sauter uh knew exactly what was coming but uh yeah weren't you surprised when you heard it was getting no satisfaction i was shocked when i was watching it and then i was like this sounds this song there's a part in it at the beginning that sounds very Familiar. I said I just kept saying no. I told you this was fucking dangerous. Remember, I said, Ginger, this is a dangerous situation. Be very careful. You fucking yes me today. It's so fucking dangerous, and why don't you kill him? I kill him. I shut the fuck up. What do you know what you're talking about? Well, well then have me. him killed and get it over. Hey, don't with. be such a fucking smart ass, will you? I'm, I know the fucking guy 35 years. I'm gonna fucking whack him for you. What a fucker. I knew this. I knew it. What about my money? How the fuck am I going to get your money now? You think he's going to give you fucking money? Are you out of your mind? Look what you did to this fucking guy. If you would have just kept your fucking mouth shut. Ah, what the fuck is the use? I should have never done it. Get up, 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 get up,
scene right there when Don Rickles comes in with the gun can't believe it it's part of this ridiculous song I knew I heard that riff somewhere before and I couldn't place it and it was killing me and then I found that it was in goddamn casino he also Scorsese used Whip It, remember, at one point with Devo, too. So that's so crazy. He's like, yeah, we got to use Devo. <laughs> I mean, Devo's not on most people's minds. You don't think of it in Martin Scorsese's mind, but I guess he is kind of a music buff, clearly, that he keeps making these. It makes sense. It makes documentary The Rolling Stones and then thinking of Devo doing a version of The Rolling Stones. It does add up. Now, going along with our classic album theme that we've been doing since the pandemic, I saw a couple of them uh, this past week, and one of them was Phil Collins' Face the Face Value album, you know, which um, I'm just going to go on record saying I don't find that to be a classic. What do you think of that? I mean, we all know this one, but for me, it's overplayed, and I don't really care for it very much, and although this song is, you know, it's awesome in a way, it's just, uh, you know, it's the only one on the album that we really know. All right, so if I'm going off a a classic album, I guess I'm going off hits, because that's the way I am, but this is okay, but it's not Peter Gabriel's So, which is ironic, because... You know, when we were talking about Peter Gabriel's So, it's so funny, right? So they're both from Genesis. And they have completely, which is why it makes so much sense that Peter Gabriel left. They had so many different values, so many different values on how to make an album. And Phil Collins is pretty much, yeah, we're good. Yeah, we got it. Let's go. Yeah, don't worry. We got it. Or Phil, we should really do another take. Nah, nah, we're good. We got it. And Peter Gabriel is there for, you know, months and a, and a year. No, 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 wait, I didn't get that sound. They're more like Steely Dan. Like, no, nah, we didn't get that note right. We didn't get that note right. So so you can see how he would... It's That's kind of... that. I thought that was very fascinating if I was thinking about both also being in Genesis and the different way they go. But I just wasn't... Uh, I wasn't blown away by, uh, you know... I mean, they're all interesting and how they come up, you know, with the horn section and stuff, something he wasn't doing with Genesis, but. The 
these are the only two songs I knew or cared about, but... But the best part was actually, because Phil, there's no, I mean, Phil Collins obviously is a pretty cool guy. Uh, you know, he has a good sense of humor. And he did say, I believe that uh, In the Air Tonight was, he did say exactly this, was written in D minor, the saddest of all keys. <laughs> intertwining you know very much like i'm really influenced by mozart and bach and it's sort of in between though it's really it's like a mark piece really it's, what do you call this well this piece is called uh, lick my love pump i mean if our show hasn't come full circle in the sense of fred willard talking about spinal tap and how it's the number one rock and roll movie of all time and then you have phil collins or really anybody who you know is in rock and roll and he's talking about how he made his album and then he's using a line from spinal tap in the way he set his tone from his album i mean that's uh and that album was made before spinal tap came out but you know the classic album story was made uh you know 20 years later which is funny that now he you know he's probably when he probably watched it he's probably almost embarrassed that he did in the air tonight in d minor the saddest of all <laughs> chords so uh that was kind of awesome that was the best part but you know it's funny because i say to myself you know why do face value when even though i mean no jacket required which is you know just nobody i i I can't imagine this is an album that anybody would care about anymore but uh, you can't you know if you're talking about a classic album and something that just you know is a time capsule of stuff i mean if you're talking about a classic album you, you know, how could you not not talk about Michael Jackson's Thriller, right? Even though some people could argue that Off the Wall is a little better because Thriller is so overplayed and, you know, it's just kind of thin. But let's face it, I mean, the public has said Thriller was a kick-ass album. And, I mean, this guy with no jacket required, I mean, even though these songs are horrible and stupid and don't hold up in any way, they were so popular. And the guy we were talking about with Dave Elliott is the bass player on this, I think. He played on a lot of Phil Collins stuff. We'll talk about him next week. But it's like when you hear him play bass on this, you're like, wait, there's a bass part on this? And I guess it's what we're hearing. No, this... Ugh. Ugh, this just reminds me of everything about this album is just sad to me. I don't like it at all. I know a classic album isn't based on hits, but I mean, in the 80s, when all these albums just had one hit after the other because they were trying to match Thriller. 
let's face it, you know all these songs. I mean, I'm just going one after the other. It's unbelievable, right? It may not be your cup of tea, but you can't deny. What are there, like seven hits off one album? I mean, it's just like that Def Leppard Hysteria one where I don't even think he was trying. He was just so popular back then. Actually, I actually really like this one a lot. Yeah, enough of that. I mean, really, his music does not hold up. It just doesn't. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, it's, I mean, that album wasn't on classic albums and face value was, but the question you have to ask yourself, as we talked about the Grateful Dead, American Beauty, and uh, Jimi Hendrix, the experience, uh, Jimi Hendrix, the experience, um, what was it, Lady, you know, bad, because I don't really care, Um, (laughs) but what is the ultimate of classic albums there's nothing you know it's hard to put phil collins face value into this category when this might be this is how you this is why you make a show called classic albums i mean you can talk about sergeant pepper all you want but this is the album this is the one this is where you know, like we need to, we need to make a show chronicling how they made this album, especially in 1973. These kind of sounds, kind of a miracle, and it was just as fascinating as you want it to be, even with that anti-Semite Roger Waters. This album is sick. Whether you like it or not, you cannot deny. I think I know every song on the album, even the smaller ones, you know. Oh, they were also showing this machine that's doing the tick, 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 tick. They were showing, and this is what we got. We got this little device, and we tuned it up a little bit. Yeah, this part. And yeah, we just were like, yeah, yeah, this is it. And this kind of stuff, I love it. And when they're potting down, you know, different ways. I was talking to my friend Evan Cutler, who's been, uh, you know, working tirelessly on, ironically, uh, Live PD, which is still on the air and still doing live episodes. He's doing it from his front porch in New Jersey, uh, which is so crazy. But what a dream to not have to go into the city all the time and work. But yeah, he was talking about, oh my God, that's my favorite show. Because when you're potting down, like even when they have these girls singing who you don't know in, um, I think it's this one, and they have this singer. Where is she coming Yeah, she's... I mean, I, I've heard this a hundred times. I guess I know there's a singer, but 
I'm not thinking about it because I'm thinking of all their music. I think maybe it's some sort of electric thing, but no, it's a singer. And they pot it down and they just have her singing and how they explained it to her. I don't remember the girl's name. And they're like, just go crazy. Go crazy. It's like a scary scene. I mean, this kind of stuff is what you want to know when you've heard an album backwards and forwards. I mean, I only wish the Beatles, there was a show like this when, you know, I know George Martin just died, but I wish they went into depth on every album they made. I know there's lots of things and lots of things you can read, but I want them to all be talking live about it. You know, I want Ringo, Paul, George, and just to to sit there for nine hours, like the last dance, and talk about how they made Abbey Road or something. You know, I mean, that I think that would interest lots more people than you would think. Also, they were talking about, you know, when they have people talking and stuff, uh, you know, they were talking about like, oh, yeah, we just got the janitor to come in. And he said a couple of things like, uh, oh, there's going to be a fight tonight or something. You know, they have people. I, I don't remember where it comes up in the uh, I think it's brain damage, but I'm not positive. I mean, this I mean, I can't even believe this is a hit. This is so slow. I wonder if you could even put a song out like this today, but it's so good, right? It's like special. But it's so sweet. I can't even. Us, 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 them, them, them. <laughs> it's just so slow. But, you know, again, if you're just listening to an album, you're at home with your headphones getting high. Well, this is the one. They talk about bringing in that sax guy. It's also interesting when they are talking about the lyrics and stuff. Stuff probably don't know a lot of the lyrics to Pink Floyd stuff. You're just not thinking about it because the music is so it's trippy. I was looking for the talking. they love having people talking on their albums i know they do that in the wall as well you know sometimes you can't think of those rooms being played by regular instruments because it's so spacey but just a regular guitar this is just Roger Waters just singing it on an acoustic guitar. On the grass. The lunatic is on the grass. Remembering games and daisy chains. 
friends and laughs Got to keep the loonies on the path I hate the Jews The lunatic I can't believe he added that in, that's sober Who was that guy? The lunatic is in the hall The paper holds their folded faces to the floor And every day now they put the paper album. boy brings more I, I like that, the way they do that. Uh, yeah, that was really terrific. And it's funny because I didn't realize that the album was produced by Alan Parsons. Again, one of the most depressing songwriters of our time. Uh, you might remember him from this down-spiraling movie, even though it sounds great, but so depressing. Or maybe I was just in a depressing... No, no, it's depressing. It's no fun. But you can see where the uh, production comes from. He had, I guess he was around for a while because then I seemed like I, I always just remember that song. I thought that's where it was, I mean, that's where I pretty much started listening to music, you know, just right around college time or something. But I definitely have heard of this one before, but I just didn't know it was him. I should have known. I guess it's the same kind of style. This one. Definitely know this one. I always thought it was Kansas, though, you know. Why wouldn't I? Where do we go from here? Now that all of the children are growing up, then how do we spend our lives if there's no one to lend us a hand? I mean, this guy worked for the Beatles, too, you know? He was at Abbey Road. Doing, he worked on the album Abbey Road. I think he was like 18, but still, this guy had been around, you know? Then they, uh, Pink Floyd asked him to do, I think it's the Wish You Were Here album. He's like, nah, I can do my own stuff. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. I mean, he definitely had success, but I mean, oh, God, and this song, the saddest. Is this all in D minor? Is this this guy? Oh, God, I just want to slash my wrist at this one. What an asshole. when you hear this you know he's the producer then you're like trying to think like oh god I actually always thought this was Pink Floyd and I guess that's the difference between him and Pink Floyd Pink Floyd seems to know how to spark it up so you don't want to kill yourself and this guy just likes to make stuff where you want to kill yourself he's all over the place what an asshole Ugh, I can't even wait. No, let's then it gets even worse. Who knows when oh. 
I remember this growing up. I was like, oh my God, I just want to die. To the, to the sea. Oh my God. It's bringing back horrible memories. Who would want to listen to this? Doesn't it go? Wait. To the sea. Yeah, what a dick. asshole you know what's actually a little better than this is my favorite song yeah ah, la cucaracha Now we're living it up. This is what this guy should have done. If he was a real good producer, he would have known this was the way to go, you know? There we go. Oh, this is perfect. Now I'm depressed and I want ice cream. Oh, my God. Shut up. Yes. Woo! Well, everybody, that's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I think we had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. I don't think we really go wrong with this podcast. Maybe not a classic, but still a podcast nonetheless. And something to do on a Tuesday morning when you wake up and look forward to The Nightfly with me, Dave Joskow. Yes, score. I don't know. What what has everybody got going on this week? I hope everybody had a great Memorial Day weekend and the oddest of all Memorial Day weekends that any of us have ever seen. Yeah, I can say that. And uh, boy, this is just nuts and everything has gone ballistic but we still have our sense of humor and we're gonna make it we're gonna make it because we got dreams dreams everybody and we believe we believe we can all get through this as we head into are you kidding june still in solitary confinement gonna be put in the uh damn it just thinking of that from hogan's heroes where they put the, (laughs) the cooler that's pretty much where we are Except we have, you know, privileges. Food deliveries, music, TV. It's not that bad. The whole situation is bad, but still, again, you know, if we have to look at the bright side, the bright side is, thank God this happened now and not in 1979, when there was nothing to do. Except network television, three channels. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? Again, we just have to look at that, right? We have to look at that. My God, I spent all Saturday just trying to fix my green screen in my background so I could do Zoom calls right, and I had to buy a new green screen because I don't have the right type of green or something, and then I put my camera to my desktop computer, which is more modern, so I can do, oh my God, I spent five hours, or ten hours on Friday and Saturday trying to put together so I look okay, because you know how serious I am 
about the way I look. I colored my hair finally, too. It looks okay. It don't look bad. Is it worth $10,000? Not in the least. And this is a horrible time to have spent that. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant $15,000. I forget sometimes how much of an idiot I am. And then I remember that I was trying to poison myself. And then it all comes back. So, anybody. Anyway, I hope you're all okay. You know, tweet. Write me. DaveDoesGoFans at gmail.com if you want to talk a little bit. And uh, maybe I'll do a live show. Not the call-in show, but like maybe something live, like on video soon. Why not, right? Just got to piece some stuff together, make things happen, and have a good time while we're all in this together, as Robert De Niro says in the movie Brazil. So anyway, I hope everybody had uh, you know did okay in May, and June is coming up. At least the weather will be delightful, and we can always go outside and take a walk and enjoy what's left of the planet until the cicadas come. Oh, my. <laughs> All right, everybody. I'll see you next time. Good night. Hey!